Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about stillbirth, baby loss, grief, survival, and all things in between. I'm Catherine. My first child, Brody, died at full term and was stillborn in January of 2022. I literally thought the sadness was going to kill me. And while trying to survive, I reached out to lost moms to connect with others who knew how I felt. It was these conversations that saved me, and to this day, they still do. We discuss our babies, life with grief. We even laugh, a lot actually. It is my hope that hearing our stories will help you realize that you are not alone in any of this, and maybe even serve as a guide to finding light in the dark. So get comfortable and grab some tissues as we discuss this crazy life after baby death that has left us all at a total loss. Hi. Hi, Nicole. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good today. You're in Raleigh, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm in Raleigh. So I'm actually, I'm really right outside of Raleigh. It's Wendell, but it's easier to say Raleigh because no one knows Wendell at all. So, um, but yeah, so North Carolina, um, not too far from you guys, you're Atlanta, right? Yes, we are in Atlanta. Hold on. I'm going to switch something real quick here. Might freeze for a second. (laughs) Something's up. All right. I think we're good. Uh, Let's just cross our fingers. Yeah. Well, I, and you know what? It's usually me because I live in a pretty rural area. So it makes me feel a little bit better that it's you. Oh, it's me. <laughs> it's 100% me. My yeah. studio is in the bottom level of our house. And so we have yep. booster on booster on booster, but we had a storm and I don't think the booster's on. And of course I'm like, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Thank you for doing <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. in Raleigh. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Like how, I mean, it's shitty that we're part of this club, right? Um, but I think that's honestly what has gotten me through the last, I mean, really six months. She'll be six months is her anniversary death tomorrow. Tomorrow. Um, but then she'd be seven months on, uh, Thursday. So I have like terrible, you know, back to back shittiness. You at least get it done each month, but it's like she died and then she'd, you know, be another month old. So it's, it's pretty shitty. But, um, I think what I found with these podcasts is, being part of this club, it's just, a, it's another way to meet really strong women yeah. and, you know, and I mean, and just be each other's champions. Um, so thank you oh, <laughs> for, gosh, for doing this. Yeah. I, I dove in pretty quickly right around the six month mark. And I, yep. I honestly, exactly to your point, it's like, it, I think perspective is really good as well, because when you're in the space and you probably know this, the norms we call them have no idea what this is and what this feels like. So you immediately start going, well, am I wrong? Like, should I feel this way? I mean, she really, you know, in my case, Brody didn't breathe any air and they were basically treating it like it was nothing and just try again. And so when you, when you get into that kind of headspace, you almost question your own thoughts and feelings and when I found when I spoke to to other lost mothers or stillbirth moms or infant death moms, they were more like, oh no, like this hurts and they are real people. They exist and you're allowed. And as soon as I realized that it was like, okay. And then the reason I have so many different stories on, and yes, I'm fully aware you are not a stillbirth mom. However, the perspective is so important to me to have. We all have so many different layers of this, different types of loss. And, and yours is one of shock. I'm sure yep. and not see it coming, which we all do share in common. And mm-hmm. 
the levels and magnitude and all of that is all relevant to the person. However, I will be the first to say your story is different. It's definitely rare. It's a rare category of a rare category of a rare category. Mm-hmm. But the way that you've walked since to mm-hmm. me is, is an inspiration that thank you. if you could pick up the pieces and you could make such beautiful things happen. And we always mm-hmm. say our babies dying is not a beautiful thing. There's nothing positive about them dying, but there's nothing wrong with trying to find something beautiful out of it. And you have done that. Yes. Thank you. So that's why I really appreciate your vibe a lot. Yeah. And it's not easy to dive back into this every day and try to work towards it. It's, it's hard to talk about a lot, but I'm glad that you've listened to other mothers speak about it for some reason. You know, everyone says, you know, is it hard to talk about loss all the time? And honestly, no, because the conversations that I have, I walk away just feeling better sometimes. It's not that we're totally. talking about loss. We're talking about life after and yes. and how we're getting through this. So yes. I, again, I really appreciate yes. you doing this. You're, you know, I was just re- re- rereading your story about Precious Cameron and God, she was so perfect. She's so perfect. She's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, really beautiful awesome. baby. Yeah. Really <laughs> Thank beautiful you. baby. Yeah, um, so yeah, the, the, the floor is yours to tell yeah. your story. However awesome. far Thank you, you. want to go. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. basically get us to where we are now. Um, so start us where you'd like to start. Yeah, absolutely. So um, and before I dive in, you know, I want to to your point, um, I was listening to, gosh, is it Janetta? Jen, uh, yeah, Jenica. I was listening actually to her episode yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not a crier. I'm going to be just completely transparent with that. I hate crying. Um I've always been that way. I feel that it's a sign of weakness when it comes from me, not other people, but me specifically. And this has broken me. Like, I mean, right? Like it sucks. Like hormones aside, Mm -hmm. I feel that this has just pulled my skin off and now you're seeing raw Nicole. Um, But the episode yesterday with Jenica and while her story is very different than mine, as you said, it's still very similar in that we are all lost moms, Mm -hmm. but I was sobbing listening to that story. And it's not, she didn't tell it in a sad way. I mean, it certainly helps that she, you know, is in the fine arts (laughs) area, but, um, but it it just resonated so much with me. Some of the things that she said, and, um, I work at a a Catholic high school. Um, so coming from that community has been really helpful as well. They've, you know, totally wrapped their arms around me, but a parent recently said to me, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I think that also, you know, kind of speaks to what the last year and a half for you almost, the last six, seven months for my family, all of the moms that we've gone through, we kind of need to find a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not that this was already created. Well, it depends on how you want to look at it, but was this already written for us, right? But now we need to find our purpose. Um, Interesting. I would love to circle back to your... Because I'm Catholic as well, and mm-hmm. trying to find answers from the church has been challenging. Yes. Um, because the first yes. thing you think is, I've been a good shepherd, I've been a good servant to the Lord, I've done I why, how, why, you know, and then that equates to like I'm undeserving of this. But then when you dive into the lo- the lost space, you're like, nobody is deserving of tragedy, nobody is. Right. So right. then it's more of like, okay, well, then why not me? Why not me? Exactly. And it's been really, yeah, it's been yep. really eye-opening. It's changed my relationship with the Lord. And it's it's been a struggle for a lot of us, I think, to try to find our way back. There's not a yes. lot of scripture, I don't think, about yeah. baby or child death or anything, is there? No, 
There, there isn't no, except, I mean, the obvious, but other than that, it doesn't really dive in any further. I mean, I think we could, our perception um, could be that there is right. But I think it depends on, I believe the priest that you speak to, right. Um, They may be able to give some, some varying opinions on that, but he didn't have um, one. He was like, he was like, "Uh, yeah, burning right to heaven. And I was like, that's it. And he was like, yep, that's it. I'm like, cool. Here's here's my check donation to the church. Thanks so much. It was very simple to him, but it almost seemed like I said, do you have any scripture I can read? And he was like, no, I don't like there's, and I'm like, oh my God. Like, yeah, okay, exactly. but, yes. but do, is there scripture about suffering? Absolutely. And is, you know, then like Book of Job and all that good stuff. Like it's, it's, it's in there, but sometimes yep. when you get into the child loss space, you're like, none of this pertains to me. I'm Correct. a different type of person because of this kind of this out of order loss. Absolutely. So that has been the weird kind of ground of like, where do we look to, for advice, for information, for spiritual leadership, when we feel like we're a category outside of everybody else. Totally. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, but um, everything happens for a reason. Okay. That's bullshit in my opinion. But the other way that I've heard that phrased is everything that happens has a purpose, right? So Mm. that's interesting. It's an interesting way to look at it. Then I had another parent recently say to me, God's plan is mysterious in another way of saying, right. I know, I know, I know. No. Um, Yeah. My grandma used to say God works in mysterious ways. And I used to believe that wholeheartedly. Uh So then that goes back to your, your comment. Like, was it predestined? Mm -hmm. Was this part of, and it's, and then it, when, when you, when you, so it was a game change when I was like, Oh, this was predestined. What a burden Mm -hmm. or almost a, uh, almost like a feeling that you had to do something with it if it was predestined. And that was a lot of pressure, Correct. you know? Yes. And, and then yes. when you're like, yes. maybe it wasn't predestined, I just need to pick up the pieces somehow, however best way I can. And mm-hmm. that's been kind of a more of a like, okay, well then I'm going to use the tools that I was born with, which is this voice, mm-hmm. this mouth. Yes. Um, yes, it is girl. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, and you're doing your, you're planting, the trees because of your yes. specialties and your, your yeah. skill sets. So you mm-hmm. kind of just hold on to something that is still you, but you just change yeah. the audience. You just change the purpose and the You're mission. Right. I gotta be honest, girl. You're right. People are usually like, you don't have to do anything with your loss. You don't have to do anything. And I, and I agree with that. You don't, but it saved me like having something to honor him as yeah. a parent on earth. And I, I'd love yeah. to hear your perspective on that yeah. too. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. You want me to dive in? Oh, please go. Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> Let's go. And then we'll get all Let's the way go. back to this, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, pregnancy was pretty easy. So um, ironically, our first, we have a little boy named Easton. He's three and a half um, and he was nine weeks early. So you would think the second pregnancy would have been a piece of cake for me and it wasn't. Um, he stayed, he had 44 days in the NICU. Um, at one point, within three weeks of him being in the NICU, he actually uh, was diagnosed with neck. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. but it actually, um, many babies die from it. It's the, uh, it's necrotizing enterocolitis. So we were very lucky. They caught it when they did. It was just medical neck. He did not need surgery. They discharged him three weeks later. So did you have a reason um, for the preterm labor? Do, I mean, for 
my my water broke. Just broke. Okay. Yeah, literally the day after my baby shower. So it broke um, at 4 a.m. He was born at 9 19 a.m. I mean, it happens like that, right? So um You're about it, 31 it, weeks or so? Yeah, about 31 weeks. Yes. Yep. Um, so we thought that was like the worst experience of our lives, right? Now mm-hmm. fast forward to Cameron. Okay. So we get pregnant. I say she's the unicorn, in my opinion. The way that we got pregnant, it was not unplanned, but we weren't trying at this point. One time, oh my God, seriously, one time, that's all it takes. Like we, you know, awesome. The only red flags that she had throughout um, or that I had throughout pregnancy was a marginal insertion umbilical cord, which is very common. Um, and then yeah. also a two vessel umbilical cord, um, which Easton had. No one thought that was any red flag um, in terms of the provider, which is fine. We just let it go. They monitored me. I was already high risk because I'm over 35 and I was high risk because I had a preterm labor prior to that. Other than that, piece of cake. So we get to, and this is where I I personally need to be careful with details because I don't, one of them, it's not my story to share, but I also, we've decided not to pursue any legal action on this. And I'll tell you why. So Cameron's due date was November 27th. She was born October 25th, which is two days before Easton's birthday, which is awesome. Great. They're both two days apart. Okay. So the week before her birthday, a virus went around my son's daycare class, our son's daycare class. Um, It was just a fever. He was out for 36 hours with a fever of about 102. No big deal. No other symptoms. When I took him back after the 48-hour rule or whatever, one of the teachers made a comment that half of the class had been out all week with a fever. That was it. And I thought, huh, that's really weird. 10 kids, 10 kids are out this week with illness and no one thought to shut down the classroom. Okay, that's fine. So Saturday of that week, that night, Saturday night, I start to feel a little off. Um, I thought maybe I had, you know, overdone it with strength training or something. Sunday, I started getting excruciating pain up my sides and then spiked a low grade fever. Monday morning, I called the doctor and said, I'm not feeling the best. I'm feeling really feverish. I just feel off. And they said, well, unless you can produce a negative COVID or flu test, which guys, it is 2022. Like I I was very much for masks and COVID because I had a, a kid with, you know, who was immunocompromised with Easton. But now like, are you kidding me? Like I'm already high risk. Okay. So that was Monday. Um, I was not about to go get a COVID test or a flu test on Monday afternoon and 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning, my water broke. So Cameron was breached, right? So this was the other thing. Like I found out at 28 weeks that she was breached. Um, I did all the spinning baby stuff. I tried everything that I possibly could. She didn't turn. So in my, you know, stages of vanity, which I think we all have at some point in our lives. Um, I was, you know, terrified of a C-section. Little did I know that was the last thing I needed to be terrified of, right? Yeah. So um, we go to the hospital. My husband got pulled over on the way to the hospital. So that actually adds some humor to her entrance into this world um, because I had him driving on the the, um, side of the road, like, you know, on the median because we needed to get to the hospital. Um, And we get there, they confirmed she was breached. No one seemed to be concerned about the fact that I had been sick the day before. They scheduled my C-section and she was born. She was perfect. I got to hold her right away. She latched right away. Um, It was a piece of cake. 
an hour where we were at like the golden hour, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, after you've had a baby, you're <clears throat> hanging out with your baby. And we didn't have this with Easton because he went to the NICU immediately after he was born. And, and, so, and Cameron was 35 ish weeks, but she was doing right. great. She, Amazing. Right. She was 35 and two. Um, they were checking her glucose, but she was with me in my room that whole first week of wow. life. I mean, and I'll get there in a second, but Within an hour of her birth, I started vomiting um, uncontrollably. And what what they believe it was or believed it was at the time was, I guess there's something after a C-section that many women have. Um, it's not a virus or that's, it's, I guess, essentially it's a, an infection um, that they just monitor. Well, I was so sick, Catherine, that I could not even hold her her first day. Couldn't even feed her. It was awful. I could not stop throwing up. The next day, yes, the next day I spiked a fever of 102. So again, they just chalked that up to the infection. They put me on antibiotics and continued to monitor me. I was shaking uncontrollably in the middle of the night. I mean, like what oh happens after, after labor, right? It's just your body's reaction. And I believe that's what they assumed it was. Um, all this time, Cameron's feeds are shifting a little bit. Like she's, you know, we just assumed she was being a typical baby. Maybe she followed, swallowed some amniotic fluid from the C-section, whatever. So Thursday night, she started vomiting after feeds. Um, And they thought that was a little odd, but no one was coming down to check on me from lactation. And what I will say is I we delivered Easton at this hospital. It's been, it was an incredible experience then. And I know covid COVID truly damaged the healthcare system. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did not get the care that we, that I guess I expected we were going to get because of the care that we received when Easton was born. Um, and we are very low maintenance people. Like mm-hmm. I don't like the call button, you know, that whole thing. So anyways, so Friday morning, my husband, she passes the car seat test the night before, right? So he brought the car seat. She passed the car seat test. He comes in the next morning to pick me up. We're an hour from discharge. We filled out all the birth certificate, paperwork, everything. And the lactation consultant comes in and she's trying to feed Cameron. And she, Cameron spits up and it comes through her nose. And the LC says, I'm not really comfortable with her going home. And I got pissed. Like, are you kidding me? We're an hour from discharge and you're telling me that I now, after I've been here since Tuesday, I've been here for four days, you're telling me right now, that I can't take my baby home. Mind you, my three-year-old just spent his third birthday in Panera in the hospital the day before, right? Like, you know, like, come on, this is ridiculous. Um, So next thing I know, we're sitting, my husband Troy and I are sitting on the couch. I'm holding Cameron and a provider from an, an NP from the NICU walks in and I recognized her immediately. My husband didn't recognize her, but I recognized her immediately and just started bawling because I knew that that's where she was going. And the NP who we loved said, this is not like Easton's experience. I promise you, I think we just need to monitor her. We just want to make sure she's okay. I think this is going to be 48 hours max. She will not be here as long as Easton was. And to be fair, she wasn't wrong. (laughs) She wasn't wrong. Um, So yeah. So I said, okay, that's fine. So they admitted her to the NICU. We got to see her um, before we went home. And what's interesting thinking back is on our way home from the hospital, um, 
I, we were talking about her stay and my husband made a comment like, well, you know what? She'll be home on Sunday. It's no big deal. And I said, he said, this is just like Easton's. And I remember where I was when I said this, where we were in the car on our road. And I said, something about this does not feel like Easton's. This is very different. I don't have a good feeling about this. And it's just mother's intuition that we've all talked about, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So they say you're not supposed to drive for two weeks after a C-section. Well, no one tells me not to fucking drive, right? My daughter's in the NICU. I got in the car the next day, drove to the NICU. So the first rounds that they do with all the providers, they go through vitals and everything. And her, she could not regulate her body temperature, which again, they just assumed that was a preemie thing, preemie. Within 24 hours, her liver numbers skyrocketed. And when I say they skyrocketed, the average is usually like within the 100s range. She was in the 2000s, Catherine, (gasps) the 2000s on Sunday afternoon. It was like, holy, I'm sorry, what? My daughter was just in the room with me for four days. And now she's in liver failure. Like what the fuck is happening? Like, we were on the on the phone when all these labs started coming in and we had the one um, NICU doc on speakerphone. And I remember he was the head of the NICU and he says, guys, I, I Cameron has me really worried right now. I'm not sure what's happening. And I think we need to be prepared for her to throw us some serious loops in the next 72 hours. This is not going to be easy. And he wasn't wrong. And I, it just went to shit. Um, Sunday night, we slept in the hospital with her. We had doctors and nurses in and out doing tons of labs. Monday morning, one of the, um, so they weren't sure what it was at this point. One of the labs came in Monday morning, I was standing next to the nurse and it was one of the labs for the infections um, to find out what the, what they believe the cause of liver failure was. And I saw enterovirus um, and it was red. And I, and to me, and this is just my, you know, me being naive, like, oh, okay, it's a virus, whatever. Well, the look on the nurse's face, and as I think back to this, I didn't realize the severity of this virus, obviously, but um, come to find out the next day, I was told um, by someone that another baby from my son's daycare had just died from liver failure from the same virus. My God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So again, this is not, that is not my story to tell, but this is where, you know, kind of the disclaimer in the beginning, right? So like, hang on a second. Okay. I'm sorry. Wait a second. So what I will say is if you, you know, try to find a little bit of light in this, it's unfortunate that it was at his expense, but Cameron lived as long as she did and was transported to Duke hospital because of him. Um, and the mom and I have a very good relationship, but, but because she was showing the same symptoms and then obviously tested positive for the virus, they pushed her to Duke hospital because they specialize, they have a pediatric unit. Um, they specialize in liver, whatever it is. I don't know. So on Halloween, Cameron was transported to Duke hospital and it just, that, that first week was a blur. Um, she went into a deep coma on Wednesday was not responding to anything. Um, all of her organs shut down. So enterovirus has a 70% mortality rate. The fact that she lived for 29 days is unheard of. So usually babies live five to seven days, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it is a multi-system organ failure. That's 
it literally wipes out the body. It's sick. And what it does is eats away at different organs at different times. Oh my God. So, what? Yeah. It's, it's sick. And here's the, here's the fucked up thing. It's, <sighs> it's a virus that hits all of us. So like as an adult, you wouldn't even know that you had it, which clearly I did. So what they think happened is it passed through the placenta to her. And even if she would have stayed in for another two weeks, it probably wouldn't have mattered. And that's what's heartbreaking. Um, so she, all of her organs started shutting down. Her kidneys started shutting down on Friday of that first week of her being at Duke. We were literally planning her funeral. And I mean, I'm like, we had called our buddy who's a funeral director. We had the team of doctors. They brought in all of the departments. They brought in, um, one of the cares teams, um, not end of life, but like special something, which we told them they need to change the name of your department. It's really messed up. But um, what what they had started doing some work on that first couple of days, though, from ID. So infectious disease was also part of our team of doctors. I mean, we literally met every single damn person in Duke Hospital. Like mm -hmm. our name should be on a building there at this point. But what was incredible is the support and the care and the dedication we got for our kid. Amazing. Um, yeah. So and so she was in an isolation room where we had to gown up gloves, gowns, hair, I mean, everything. Like I did not get to touch my child with my bare hands the day she was admitted to Duke. And and I didn't actually process that until like a couple weeks ago. Like we didn't, she didn't feel skin for the last not, three weeks. But why? But why? Because she was considered contagious because of the virus. So they didn't want us taking, right, right, exactly. But you already had, yeah, yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't yes. under, I don't know the virus. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and it doesn't make any sense in my opinion, like this is our kid and I get that you don't want anyone else bringing germs in, right. Because she is, you know, okay. in, in critically ill, right. She is critically ill, but why can't we touch her? Yeah. You know, I mean, so yeah. anyway, so, um, so infectious disease shared with us that first week that there was an antiviral that had been used for polio a long time ago. They couldn't guarantee that it was going to work. It was an experimental drug. And we at that point said, let's try it. I mean, what is the, the worst thing that could happen? She's already dying. I mean, let's try it. So as of right now, there's absolutely no treatment plan for an infant that attracts it. Nothing, nothing. All they can do. I know. Right. Be and because it's a virus, right? So it's not bacterial, it's viral. Yeah, but so, I know a certain other virus that was ending everything. Yep. And like this one seems a little bit more dire. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Wow. Yeah, okay. I know. I know. It's, and well, absolutely. Yes. So there, again, there is a little bit of, you know, hope that comes out of this. Unfortunately, now it was at Cameron's expense, but. Um, so the antiviral, we signed off on it. They flew it in, um, from another state and we started the antiviral on Saturday. So almost 14 days after she had, she was born. So what they found is that the earlier, earlier you administer the antiviral, um, the, or the experimental drug, the better chance a baby has of surviving. And again, because of Cameron, without, you know, breaking HIPAA laws, babies have survived. Holy shit. So, right. So like, I know, so I know. And, and like, it's heartbreaking, like, hold on, wait, my kid could have lived. 
but she also saved lives. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. I mean, Mm -hmm. you want to talk about being, being proud of a kid, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's doing more things than a lot of people do with seven lifetimes. She is exactly. So if, yes. So if anything, I know, I know. And this, you know, like now this is even more reason to find purpose as adults, right? Like if my kid save is helping to save lives, like, and then another baby who passed earlier before her, she lived longer because of that baby. It's like, I don't know, way too many sick connections. Like you can't explain it, but here we are, you know? Mm -hmm. So she fought hardcore for 29 days. Um, she ended up needing a surgery because, you know, she had some intestinal issues they thought was neck again, which our son had when he was in the NICU. And, um, we didn't think we were out of the woods. We never at any point felt we were out of the woods, but the doctors and the nurses were, the looks on their faces were lighter than they had been, right? It didn't feel as heavy. Um, we didn't sleep. Neither of us slept, right? And this whole time I'm pumping like, like a freaking nut because I'm hoping that, you know, I'm making a stash in my freezer. I'm hoping that maybe we'll be able to use it someday. She's also getting some breast milk. So that was helping too with antibodies. So the week she died was Thanksgiving. And the, so she's still intubated at this point. So this kid was intubated from the Wednesday she went to Duke all the way up through death essentially. But the Tuesday of the week of Thanksgiving, the doctor on call, um, who was a newer doctor for us, but we loved everyone we worked with, but she made the decision to extubate. And Cameron had had some pretty irregular heart, um, some, some concerns with her heart throughout her sickness, her illness, um, that they thought they were, um, they had kind of figured out and she was on like 14 different drugs. Um, but the doctor made the decision to be, she was extubated at 1130 on a Tuesday and I was with her all day. I heard her cooing. I had a video of her without that tube in her mouth. Like she's so swollen at this point, Kat, like you can't even, she doesn't even, she didn't even look like the same baby she did when she was born. And she was fine the whole time I was there. I left about 6.30 to get home to our son, and she started um, struggling with breathing. So throughout the whole night, uh, they monitored her. They tried to give her um, some extra oxygen. She had a nasal cannula, um, but she was not responding to that. I had received a couple different calls throughout the night. I had called in during middle-of-the-night pump sessions, and the nurse I didn't care for, um, one of the only nurses I didn't care for the, the entire stay there, but she one. just wasn't, there's always one. And you know what? It's like, if you're a parent, you've got to learn how to have conversations, you know? I mean, it's just, that's all it you, is you, being a human, a yes. decent human being. Yeah. Jeez. Yes. Like it's the delivery and the tone for God's sakes. But anyways, know. you know, like show a little bit of love. Like our kid is critically ill or has died can you love on us a little bit like jesus so anyway um so the doctor calls me back the the um resident on call and she said i'm just gonna let you know when you come back in this morning cameron's going to be intubated intubated again she's not breathing well we're just really concerned we feel that maybe we extubated a little too soon okay cool wednesday she is back with the tubes 
I held her for two and a half hours. Mind you, she's on this like bed, this super thick padded memory foam mattress because her being, you know, flat for so long. And she started getting these like, um, uh, like sores in her legs and, oh my God, it was just heartbreaking. So no one talks about that part. No one talks about the other stuff that that, happens to the body. Yeah. Yes. Like, and just watching your body. Right. I mean, so anyways, um, so leaving that night, I was okay. Thursday morning. So here's the other part that I totally forgot about. So my husband, the week that she died, came down with something like a cold or, I mean, he was coughing and my husband's never sick. I'm sure the stress just got to him, but basically because he was coughing, they said, you need to stay home till you're not showing any symptoms. And I don't disagree with that because of how severe she was. She was so critical anyways, no reason to bring in any other germs, whatever. So his first day back in the hospital cat was the day she died. Oh my God. So he did not see her from Saturday until Thursday morning, which was Thanksgiving morning. He went in first, right? And he, he, we had to kind of tag team, which was fine. I got to stay home with my son and watch the Macy's day parade. Like he was super excited. Um, Troy was in the hospital. He got to sit through rounds. They talked through a bunch of stuff, but he didn't share with me the concerns that the doctors had during rounds that day. And I don't know why. And it may have just been because his brain was protecting him from Mm -hmm. the concerns that they may have had, or he was just protecting me. Um, So I didn't get there until about 1.30 in the afternoon, almost two o'clock. And the second I laid eyes on her, I knew. Mm -hmm. I'm like, my baby is gray. She, she is gray. This is not what she looked like yesterday. Like, Troy, did you take any pictures of her? And to him, he hadn't seen her in five days. Mm-hmm. He just thought she had lost weight because she, they were diuresing her. She was so swollen. Right. Um, and I lost it. I'm like, guys, there's something wrong. Why isn't anyone doing anything just because it's a damn holiday? Like I realize it, I am so much in support of being with family members, but my child is dying. I can tell, like I knew immediately they, so they thought maybe she had an infection from the intubations and the extubations, whatever. They decided to do some antibiotics. I finally made the decision to leave at five o'clock on Thanksgiving because I had promised my son and my family that I would be there for dinner. And I left not feeling great. I just had that feeling, you know, that feeling, right? Like there's just something that's off. And I called the nurses to check in before shift change at about 6.30 p.m. And the nurse did not sound convincing by any means. Um, But looking back, I had some serious belly belly laughs during that Thanksgiving dinner. And I think Cameron wanted that. I do. Um, And we get home. um, I get a text from one of the nurses who has been the most incredible human being that I've ever met in my entire life. She sends me a text at about 7.35 7.35 and said, so-and-so, you know, brought me up to speed on the concerns that you had today. I also don't think Cameron looks well. Um, I'll be in touch. And 9.10 PM, I had finally fallen asleep, but I get a text message from this nurse that says, can you come in? And 9.13, my phone rings and it's the resident on call. And she said, Nicole, this is so-and-so. I'm really concerned. And I put her on speakerphone and my husband's in in bed next to me. And she said, oh, hang on a second. Okay. She's coding. She's coding right now. 
I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned. Can you guys get here? And my, like, I have a three-year-old who's sleeping in bed. Like, thank God my parents were still awake. I called them. They rushed over. We literally left the house before they got here. You might want to edit that out. But it's like, I have a 50-minute drive to Duke. Oh, my God. It's 50 minutes. I don't know how you did that 50 minutes. I don't know. Nope. Nope. And you know what? My husband said to me, Nicole, please don't, please don't say anything about my driving. He's like, I'm not going to speed getting there. I, I need you to just trust me. And I needed him to say that because I would have lost my shit on him because he was definitely going the speed limit. Right. But, um, but we, they called us two other times on our way to the hospital to say she was essentially dying. Um, and we got to the hospital we walked into the NICU. I didn't wash my hands. I dropped all my shit at the doorway. All of these nurses and doctors are standing there. I walk to her room and one of the doctors comes to me and I can see into the room. And one of the doctors says, um, Nicole, I'm so-and-so. We haven't met. I am so sorry. We've done everything. And I'm like, it's, it was like a fucking movie. Like, it's like the shit you see in movies. I, I mean, the one doctor, so they had to open her up on the table. They thought maybe, you know, something from surgery the week before had screwed her up or whatever, right? So they literally, they a doctor came in that did her surgery, came in on Thanksgiving and opened her up on the table, bedside. They told, told us about this ahead of time. He had sewn her up. He was cleaning his hands off. I could see his face. He couldn't even look at me. And the nurse that, and this is what um, I heard in one of your episodes yesterday, like, there are nurses that are put in our lives, or I think yesterday it was like the, the, um, uh, the doula, I think that Mm -hmm. came in. Um, but like what she said to me, I will never forget what she said. She was holding Cameron up and she said, Nicole, she needs to be in your arms. And at that moment I knew she was dying. Like she was literally dead. And I went and sat down, they wrapped her up. Like she didn't look anything like she did on October 25th, the day she was born. And they said, do you want us to remove the tubes? Well, sh- no shit. I want you to remove the tube. Take every, like the fact that you even have to ask me that. And she literally died at 1034 PM. And we had gotten there at 1022, I think. Oh, I mean, shit. it was, she went through two crash carts in the hour that we were on our way there. And the only reason that they kept her alive is because I sent a text to that nurse And I said, please keep her alive until we get there. And she just wrote back, hurry. And she said, she held that phone up to that team. And she said, we have to keep her alive for them. And they did. Oh my God. And it was like, and like everyone started walking out. One of the, this was actually beautiful, beautiful. Who I I can't believe you even say this word when you talk about the ship. Right. But like one of the surgeons that also came in on her night off, was as I'm holding Cameron, Troy's sitting beside me and he's losing his shit. Like it, I mean, I don't blame him, but the one surgeon leaned over us and she said, she puts her hands on, on Cameron. And she said, would you mind if I prayed with you guys? And it was the most beautiful moment. Too hormone. Right? I am going to lose it. I know, I'm sorry. I know. I'm like trying not to cry just for this reason, Kat, but like, like it was everything like a surgeon, you know, like who just, it it was, I don't know. So these sound like the people that you hope to get every time you're in these situations, but it sounds like the, 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 this, where you were, the arena you were in takes these types of doctors and people and humans. So they are 
just as invested as you are, it feels like, because this is something they wanted to save her. That was their job. And they essentially failed in their eyes. You're, you're absolutely right. And I mean, just, it was so unexpected and so shocking that I think that's why everyone reacted the way that they did. Like, holy shit. So we, we take her out into this room where we can hold her as long as we wanted to. But this was a time where Troy and I did not know how the other person was going to respond and react to this while right. we're holding our dead baby. And Troy, we, we figured out that we both grieve differently as mm-hmm. you and your husband do. Right. Um, and I knew that he could sit there for a long time holding her. And what ends up happening is, and you, I'm sure you also may have experienced this, but from pulling the tubes out from Cameron, you know, the body starts to, to, to progress. Right. Mm-hmm. And she starts bleeding. Um, and at the moment I saw that I covered her face and I said to the nurse, I said, I, I, I don't want to see this. And Troy said, let's go. We sat with her for maybe 20 minutes. Like I, I felt like I lost out on that opportunity of holding her. Right. And I mean, it goes back to what you said, like taking outfits for Brody and thank God that you had someone that told you this. I mean, I remember walking out of the house to go to the hospital that night thinking, do I need an outfit? Like mm. for, for, for fucking photos, right. For pictures of my dead child. That's where I went. Right. But like looking back, I wish I would have had an outfit because now she was, she was taken in like some christening gown. Like it's beautiful, but you know, I mean, and that's the, that's, that's the kind of the thing that I'm, I'm seeing across the board. It's like, we're getting care, bereavement care after they're gone. There is nobody telling you what to do in the interim before they pass and what you should do or what they should, should suggest and I'm I'm so sorry that they that there was no guidance on that. And the well, only thing I can tell you is that like yeah. no matter no matter what you did though, yeah, it would have never still been enough. You would have always walked out of there saying, right. "Shit, yeah. I wish I did this and I wish I did that." Even if you had a thousand videos in the most perfect dress, you're gonna always yeah. have something that you wish you had done because it's just yes. never enough. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. But I think. You know, one of the the impacts, like that team, and this goes back to your point of saying, like, we had a legit arena of folks, right? That was so unexpected. And so many people were shocked. But the life that she lived in those 29 days, but specifically at Duke, not only impacted so many of the staff, but it taught so much. Wow. And I think that's what, you know, what we, you know, what is pushing us forward, Um but the relationships that I've built specifically with some of those women in the hospital is something that I think Cameron wanted me to work on. Um, and the just the inspiration from these strong, determined, driven women who are taking care of babies that die, not often, but they die. But then they're also expected to care for the families too, and then care for themselves after losing a child or an infant. Watching them, you know, not take that home with them or try not to is is heartbreaking. But it, they have been the true inspiration for me, and the relationships that my husband and I have built with so many of the of those healthcare workers has just been incredible. Um, and they came to the service. We chose to have a very private service. We're very private people, but they asked if they could come. We had about eight or nine of them there. um, Wow. Right. I know it was just, 
they were just as, as heartbroken and shocked as us. And I think that's what actually makes it a little bit harder. Um, right. Like, you know, it's a little bit harder to hear that. Um, you know, it's still heartwarming, but it's harder to hear that they were just as shocked. I don't know. And everyone's going to, you know, take that differently, but, um, I mean, they honestly thought Cameron was, was out of the clear after or in the clear out of, um, after the surgery she had, the fact that she made it through a couple of the nurses said, we really thought she was going to come out of this. And I think she didn't. for them to yeah. be that shock makes you walk yes. away going, yep. oh, well then I don't get, I don't, I don't blame you. I don't have to have anger towards you that you didn't do Correct. enough or you didn't give a shit or you treated us poorly. Like, you get to walk yes. away without blaming anybody on the team, which I think is huge in trying yeah. to move forward. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm well, glad they I told think... you that. Cause and some oh, of them are too. like, some yes. of them like are trying to be so like, Oh, we knew what we were doing the whole time for them to be like, this was shocking. Like that's a lot to yes. admit for a team. I feel yes. like you're absolutely right. Well, and the other thing I think we learned, and this, you know, goes back to just our son's stay in the NICU as well. Like, I think it's really important while, you know, the healthcare system has, you know, kind of taken some, some blows, right. Especially with the, within the last couple of years, mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we do remember that they are people as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, like I would do anything to have my daughter here. Um, and I know you would do anything to have Brody here, but the hope is that at some point you've have been able to develop a relationship or rapport with someone that worked with you to where it's not okay, but you feel a little bit of comfort knowing that they truly and genuinely cared for you as much as they did. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that was our goal this time, like asking them how they're doing, how is their day? You know, just something as simple as that, like not all about me, me, me and my child, because we know that's what you're already doing. It's more so like, we're humans and mm -hmm. we messed up own your mistakes. But like, I'm, I'm grateful for the time and dedication that you're giving to my child. I want to know who you are, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that's what helped us get through and what's continuing to help us get through. And, you know, that kind of rolls into planting memories. I mean, just, mm. I don't know. I know it's just kind of like all over the place, but um, no, that's, that's a vibe. That's the vibe, you know, it's all right? over the road. Like, Yes, for sure. I mean, yeah. So you walked out without her, which yep. is something that we yep. all have very much in common, which yes. to me is like the epitome of the one of the worst parts. Like it's it's horrific. And we all know what that moment feels like. We may not know the other layers or the other parts, the other, the other details of each other's stories. But we know what it's like to walk out those doors without them. And so walk me through, you said you had a service. How we soon did. after? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so one thing that we actually did before the service. So as I said, we um, the time that I got to hold her after she died was like 20 minutes. Um, but that was, you know, trying to respect my husband's space and what his comfort level was at that time. Fortunately, because of the funeral director um, being our friend who was going to host the service or hold the service, we had, I had a, a comfort level with him to where I said, look, I didn't hold her enough. 
Um, and we chose to cremate her. That was our decision. I didn't want to put her in a box. I just had this thing in my head, like bugs are going to be eating her body alive. She's already suffered enough, whatever. That was just me. Um, but I said to him, before you cremate her, I would like to hold her. I want to see her one last time. And this Saturday, so she died on a Thursday, Thanksgiving, that Saturday, he said, yep, I'm going to go pick her up. You guys come on out to the funeral home. You can have as much time as you want. And I got to hold her without cords without, I mean, for two and a half hours. And it was the most peaceful time that I had with her from the day she was born. Oh, I love that. And it's, it's sick, but like, that's what I needed. Right. As a parent, as a mom, like, I mean, how long did you get to hold Brody? I I lost him for three days. I I had to go to the the ICU. So he went to the morgue. Uh, I only got an hour or so before we left. Yeah. But he had altered so much. I was exactly like you. He was starting to get things coming out of him. And it was, I was like, it's not my baby. Yeah. And so did the, did, were they able to alter her appearance? That's so I see. I do regret that. I do wish I did that. That's, that was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think for me, because I had seen her suffer for so long, absolutely, I needed, I, you know what I mean? Like I needed that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you don't, you don't know till you're there. Right. But like, and you certainly don't want to compare, but, um, you know, it, it sounds like your situation was very different too. So oh, yeah. Oh I mean, yeah. Yeah. To care for yourself. Right. You, I didn't watch. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see them in pain, him in pain. And I can imagine as a mother that will stick with you and to see her peaceful and not in pain, I think was an image that you wanted to be left with. And I think that was a good decision on your part to have that moment after the fact. Yeah, I think, I think I needed that for sure. Um, So we decided to do a service. Um, We had it the following Thursday. It was very small. Um, And I just could not wrap my mind around the fact that she was gone. In the meantime, my husband is trying to think. So I'm sure, I'm sure you, did you guys do a obituary and obituary for Brody? We did not actually. No, I. Okay. No, but these are things you don't know. Yeah, no. But see, we didn't either. But again, like, I mean. I think I posted on Instagram. That was like my obituary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Well, but so part of an obituary, and I, I didn't know this until I actually had one done for our daughter. Like there's a spot in there where you can buy a tree. You can plant a tree for a kid, for, for not a kid, excuse me, for anyone that's died. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so my husband with his background in horticulture um, has done some research on this and he's like, it's beautiful because people feel absolutely helpless in this time. So if they can do anything for the grieving family, they can plant a tree but they'll never see the tree. They'll never actually see the tree grow. And you don't even know where the tree goes. Like, uh, that happened to us. Planted. We're like, where's the yes. tree that you guys donated? Can we go see it? And they're exactly. like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a certificate though, because they mail you that, but that's about it. Right. Right. So what he said is this is such a unique, um, it's such a niche that no one's doing locally. Actually, no one's doing anywhere from what his research research has shown. So we started planting memories and it's, um, it, it's a customized plaque with the, um, with the name of the loved one on it. It's a memorial tree. So basically he will plant the memorial tree wherever a family wants, whether it's their backyard, a church, uh, a school, whether they, you know, loved, and this is of course not even 
it's not just babies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's anyone, any loved one. Right. But, um, maybe they had a favorite park that they, you know, um, spent a lot of time in. We have some connections there where we can do it. Right. So, um, but, and this is where he and I differ on this, and this could just be how, you know, women operate and my emotions versus his. So he believes the tree, like the growing, thriving tree, blooming tree is what draws people in. In my opinion, seeing your child's name on something or your loved one's name on a plaque it just, it is the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. And that added touch has just, I mean, the, you know, the few families that we've worked with, and this is not like, we're not looking to make some, you know, bukus of bucks here. This is truly to honor our daughter. Mm-hmm. And we find ourselves reminding, well, I find myself reminding him of that sometimes. Cause I think he would love for it to just like blow up. Yeah. But dude, remember, like, why are we doing this? You know, we're doing this for Cameron. We are trying to keep her legacy alive. Um, but it's been really good for our marriage too, right? So I know we all talk about this through through all of the, you know, child loss. Like, what does this do to a relationship? And this has really held us together because we are even more of a team now than we ever have been. But we also have a child too. We have a three-year-old that we have to get up for. And that's what's also kept us going. You know, I mean, it's, it fucking sucks, right? Yep. Like it mm-hmm. sucks, you yep. know, like, I mean, but when you can surround yourselves with people that love you, that support you, you can find your purpose in this as hard as it may be. It's, you know, and you can become a part of the shitty club that we always call a shitty club, but also find so much strength in each other. It's, makes it a little bit easier to get through each day. I think, I think that's, I think that's the, the thing. Yeah. Like I think you nailed it. I think one of the things I realized was like when I would meet up with my lost mom friends here in Atlanta, I would just feel so energized and rejuvenated and I would feel so good. But then I remember going back home and being like, Oh wait, that was just three hours. Like that was, yeah. and I think what I eventually decided was that we needed each other to just get through the days until it became easier to carry and passing our time the best way we can until there's a day where it's a small part of our day and not our entire day. And I, and and that's all that really is. And that's making the best we can. And it does make it a little bit easier to get through your days when you are connected to people who you don't have to explain yourself to. Yes. How has it been with, with your family and friends? It's been tough kind of getting, getting back on, you know, on, um, the best terms with everyone in terms of family friends have been incredible. Um, but there's also challenges there and you may have experienced this at some point, but like close friends who are now pregnant, um, and expecting the same gender. That's really hard. (laughs) That is extremely hard. And you're only six months out. So it's all going to change again. It's all going to change yeah. again. Um, yeah, all that stuff exactly. is absolutely hard. Yes. And and there are, again, I talk a lot about the relationships. Like there's assholes that you're like, clearly we're not going to be going moving forward at this yeah, point. Correct. But then there's also yeah. people who are kind and they've done really, they've been there for you. And, but their phase of life does not make you, does not vibe with you right now. It just doesn't help in any way. And, and those just have to be shelved for a little while. And I think that's, that's totally normal and natural. And I said to Michael the other day, I'm like, God, uh, childbearing years. I'm ready like to, for that, to see what that looks like when we're done here. 
Um, yeah. because I think that'll really be, that'll really dictate the future of your relationships. But this is such a phase that you're just trying to survive, man, and figure right. it out. Yeah. 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 Have you been connected yeah. to other parents who have had good? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. And that has been, I mean, a game changer for me. I think, you know, finding the podcast and you know how sick the algorithms are on social media, right? Like, I mean, the month of December, like right after she died, it was insane. The shit that populated in, you know, in my feeds. Mm -hmm. However, if you try to, you know, I think, you know, there was definitely some good in that. And there have been a few moms, um, like weighted angels. Are you familiar with weighted angels? It's out of Virginia. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's been an incredible organization. I, um, connected with a mom from weighted angels. There's another mom, you know, it's just been, it, it sucks. Um, but one of the moms that I've connected with it, you know, doesn't not the same story, but still lost at the end of the day. One thing she said is when we connect as moms, it's because I feel our babies have met. And right. Wow. And I just, wow. How awesome. How yeah. awesome is that? And find power in other women that has been, I'm telling you, girl, like that has been, that has been my saving grace, the power in friendships, the power in other women, for sure. Are you cool with people reaching out to you? Yes, I would love that. I think that helps us. So, yeah, What's your um, Instagram handle for them to hear? No, that's a really good question. I think it's Nick. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tag you. I'll tag you in the description. Look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I th- it's N.I. Coons. N.I. Coons 614. That's what it is. N.I. Coons 614. And hit her up if you're in the Raleigh area. I think it's always fun to yeah. get a little group together. And I did a post, actually. I don't know if you saw yes, it. I saw that. Was posted. Yep. Oh yeah, you did comment. Okay, good. good. I, we did, I did. Yeah. And there were a couple ladies that reached out. So that's, that's exciting. Good. I love right. it. See, look what you're doing. Look at the community that you are building that Brody is building, right? Like that's incredible. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you as well. I think yeah. what you have created is incredible. So if I can help amplify your voice on that, because I think it is a beautiful thing. I will absolutely do it. I'm actually going to link it underneath. So if anybody is looking to donate or a gift, like, yeah. And there's a lot of bereavement care packages out there that I think would really benefit from having something like this and getting you connected to grief gifts on all these websites. Like I think, you know, if you ever want, I think it's a wonderful thing. So thank you so much for sharing yours and Cameron's story. Thank you. And it was so nice to connect with you. I know. You're awesome. Awesome. Shit, girl. We'll drink we can, some time together. Yeah, we could get in a lot of trouble. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, yes, we could. Yes, oh, my we God. Could, yes, we could. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It was awesome to meet you. Oh, girl. Right back at you. We will talk really <laughs> soon, okay? Sounds good. All right. Thanks. I'll see you later. See you. Right, bye. bye. That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.